episode 32 of the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Today we're talking effective police training, recruitment, and a whole bunch of other topics with two boys from North Carolina. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, welcome back to Tactical Breakdown. This is the podcast for law enforcement. We are taking it to a whole nother level here in 2020. If you are new to the show, welcome. Thank you for being here. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being here, and I hope you're finding the information actionable and useful. Today's exciting. I had uh, my first double podcast where I had two guests on at the same time, a little menage a trois, if you would, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I had two boys in from North Carolina, extremely smart gentlemen. During the conversation, we touched on a lot of different topics from recruitment to effective police training from a tactical side of things where policing is going and the shot show and everything in between so it was a lot of fun to have this conversation with these guys the first guest that i'll introduce is adam wilson adam's a 15-year veteran of the police force he is a best-selling author his book tactical reload strategy shift for emerging leaders in law enforcement He's also a national columnist. He's been on C-SPAN and a bunch of other places. He also has his own YouTube show called Tip of the Spear with Adam Wilson, which is an amazing show. If you haven't already listened to it, make sure to check that out. With him is Stephen Strickland. Now, Stephen has over 19 years of law enforcement experience, with over 17 years of that being in SWAT, 13 years also including canine handling, and is a specialized instructor in a lot of things from firearms to CQB to physical fitness and everything in between. So these two gentlemen, like I said, ton of knowledge between both of them. And I had a lot of fun in this conversation. We go down the rabbit hole on a few different things. So I hope you enjoy the talk. If you do want to get a hold of these guys, make sure to check out the breakdown.ca forward slash zero three two to get all the information on them. So here we go. Let's jump right into the conversation. Well, I have both Adam and Steven on the show with me today. It's going to be the first uh, double team, tag team, I guess we could call it, a a, a menage a trois, if you would, uh, for the uh, Tactical Breakdown podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show. Uh, Appreciate you having us, man. Looking forward to uh, uh, tag teaming you. (laughs) Oh, geez, this show just, we're going to have to set the explicit tab for this show, I think, on iTunes. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, let everybody know where you, uh, well, you guys are down South uh, in the U S right. North Carolina, I believe. Yeah. Down in, uh, about 20 minutes outside of Charlotte. Right on, right on. And you just recently got back from shot show, right? Adam, you were down in shot show. I did, man. It was exhausting. I'm still trying to recover from it. Uh, <laughs> Las Vegas is a, it can kick you right in the teeth, man. If, if you, if you're not careful, but, uh, but it was my first time at SHOT Show, so I was out there as media. And so I went out there and covered the event and had, oh, my gosh, I talked to everybody that was willing to talk to me, to be honest, and just tried to get a lot of interviews for my show, 
on YouTube, Tip of the Spear with Adam Wilson, and just try to make a lot of contacts and for future interviews. And it gave me the opportunity to to meet some folks. They helped me with my book, like Tim Kennedy and and some different folks, man. But if you ever have a chance, you, you got to get out there, Adam. It is a uh, the scale of it is is enormous. It's by Wednesday, you're walking through the hall and it's just like herding cattle. I mean, and and the general public just can't waltz up in there. So everybody that's there is either they're either media. They're a gun retailer. They're an exhibitor. Uh, they're a they're a buyer of some sorts. They're associated with a tag team, and they're looking to to upgrade their gear. So it's all pretty professional, professional folks. And and the booths, man, are just it's incredible. You can't actually buy anything there. It's just a uh, it's a opportunity for them to show the stuff off. But I mean, it takes some extra feet. Because you're gonna you're gonna go through your feet on the first couple of days, and you're gonna need uh, like a little hover around to to keep moving and grooving. But because uh, it's miles and miles of actual uh, booths and and uh, and just and just walking around. Segway should uh, should jump on board and, and partner up with Shot Show then uh, to give people a rest and just have little stations set up so people could jump on their little contraption and zoom around. Dude, if if somebody would have run like come by me on a Segway, I'd have gave him twenty dollars just to take me to the elevator. Like because it's been, like when you're carrying around all your gear, like oh like I had a, like a forty pound pack on, and like on Wednesday alone was my biggest day uh, as far as walking and 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 hustling. And I think I put it was like right at twenty miles is what I walked inside the hotel um, from morning until until that evening, and then. uh and so, yeah, it was a, uh, it was an experience though, but I would definitely do it different next year. The, uh, as far as for what I do is, uh, I didn't plan nearly enough. So I just kind of chalked this year up to, you know what, I'll see, I'll see how it is. I'm just going to kind of wing it and, and, uh, and see what works, what doesn't work. And next year we'll actually kind of be more meticulous about it. Yeah, it's awesome. And if you're listening to this and you didn't quite catch that, so Adam is the host of Tip of the Spear with Adam Wilson on YouTube. Uh, so he is a fellow podcaster and podcast host, also in the, the law enforcement space, doing a lot for our officers uh, and men and women in uniform. So thank you, sir, for what you do. And uh, and today you brought on uh, a guest. I know when we first touched base, you're like, hey, listen, man, if I'm coming on, I got to get this guy to come on with me. So uh, I'm going to let you uh, give us a little bit of a background about uh, about Steve and why you have him on the show. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll probably will do the – I won't do the his bio any – any, uh, I'll do it a disservice if I, if I do it. So I'll let him introduce you guys. But yeah, I thought, uh, Strick's a really smart guy, very good friend of mine. We actually owned a, a gym in the past. We've been teammates for a really long time on, uh, well, I recently came off the SWAT team. He's still on as, a, as one of the team leaders. And we've been on the SWAT competition team together. And so I, was, I thought, man, if, uh, if there was something that I couldn't answer, I'm sure he probably could. But I'll let, I'll let him introduce himself. Yes, it's the uh, tag team today. Tag team champions. Uh, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll send you guys some belts. That's what I need. Exactly. Yeah, Adam, I heard you uh, come down with an illness while you was at SHOT Show. Is that correct? I did, and it wasn't, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't herpes uh, being out in <laughs> Vegas. In the, uh, there's a lot of sexual innuendos in this, in this uh, episode. One but, or uh, two. Yeah, but everybody, man, my entire group that went out there ended up, catching the flu, not the coronas, 
not the or the Budweisers, but the uh, just the regular old, uh, regular old flu. So yeah, yeah, Vegas did a number on us. Sorry. Yeah, and actually, uh, apparently he's passed it to me because I'm kind of under the weather as well today. Um, but uh, essentially, my bio uh, quickly as far as experience is a little over 19 years law enforcement experience, 17 years of that on the TAC teams, a little over 13 years as a canine handler and trainer, uh, specialty instructors for firearms. Actually, I'm over the firearms uh, range master for my agency, as well as the uh, fitness and wellness and uh, numerous other things such as force and force, uh, CQB instructor, handle a majority of the uh, SWAT training force, and, you know, pretty much a family guy, love the outdoors and spending time with my family. I'm actually an introvert, so this is uh, not comfortable for me at all. So bear with me, Adam. That's all and, good, brother. And Adam is, is like creeping in for a, a kiss no, right now. I, I, don't, I don't know what he's doing, so. <laughs> yeah, for, those of, for those of you who, who can't see it, I can't see it because we're on, a, we're on a audio phone call, audio only, but uh, these two gentlemen are, are huddled up over a microphone uh, real nice and close and cuddled in close together, so. Uh, Completely naked. Yeah. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> so put that visual in your mind while you listen to this. Throughout this podcast, Adam, if you have yeah. any sponsorship, it's about to be shot. There's no <laughs> yeah. telling what's about to be that's, said. That's all right. It's all good. I mean, it's worth it, I think. Huge mistake putting us together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, it's uh, it's really exciting because I'm, I'm excited to have both of you on. Two guys that, I mean, between the two of you, you have almost a, a quarter century uh, policing experience and um, and a lot of that on the TAC teams and and having to do with training. Um I, uh, we, we talked just a bit offline. I got off a call last night. We did our very first instructors roundtable um, on use of force and defensive tactics. And, and on the call, I had uh, a guest of both Adam and mine's shows, uh, Tony Blauer. And then we also had uh, John Bostain, Chris Butler, and Scott Savage. Uh, so four of the top minds when it comes to training development in law enforcement. And uh, I know, I, I know, Stephen, that's that's one of the things that that you love, and that's one of the things you're passionate about is the evolution of training and, and evolving tactics and and doing things and changing things up so that they're most effective. So, um, is there anything right now, if I were to say, if I if I pulled you aside today and I said there's one thing right now that you could do at your agency uh, to to evolve or to change what you're doing, what would it be? Uh, of course, increase the training budget. I mean, budget, budgetary constraints, I'm sure you've heard this all the time, is a huge hindrance. Time and money. Time and money, 100%. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we just, in our area specifically, uh, very, very short on personnel, uh, very low rates of interest in law enforcement at this time within the cadet programs. And uh, it's making it very tough to allow the officers that we currently have to be able to break away from shifts because of shortages to even attend the specialty trainings that they're a part of such as SWAT training. I mean, we just had some of our newest members weren't allowed to even to attend training at their most crucial time, you know, when they're at their, their uh, infancy when it comes to uh, the TAC teams and are not allowed to go because of shift shortages and the like. So yeah, time and money, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
How about you, Adam? Do you have any anything? Yeah, no, I think I think uh, I think he's hitting the nail on the head as far as when it comes to staffing. Um, every, especially in the U.S., I mean, and I, and I talk about it pretty frequently. You know, departments across the U.S. We've had issues with staffing, um, especially after Ferguson. They really dropped. Now they're creeping back up, but we don't have near the applicant pool that we used to have. Uh, so the the applicant pool is no longer as as competitive. We're not getting the cream of the crop. No offense to the folks that's coming on board now. It's just that's just the way it is. If you have a hundred people applying for 10 positions, then you're going to have some really good applicants in there. Most likely if you have 11 people applying for those 10 positions, well, I mean, it's just, you're at this point, you're just trying to uh, get a body in a, in a uniform and get them in a car and get them out there. And so I think uh, part of the, uh, the issue I see is we're getting to a position where I think police departments are starting to lower the bar. And because we don't want to make it too hard, because we got to get these people through, uh, and I, I think that's I think that's the wrong approach. I think in, in reality, we're doing uh, these these guys and, and women a disservice if we lower that bar. Not only in the in policing in general, but also in the in the community as well. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues I see is the lack of realistic training. Um, you know, if you have a finger gun and you're running into a room and you know no one's in the room and you're working on just room clearing, well, you know what? You're yeah, you're gonna win a hundred percent of the time. Uh, but if you go into a room, at least with and you know somebody's hiding with Sims rounds, well, you know it ups the ante a little bit because one of the issues that I think we have is there is a it's hard to replicate a true fight or flight uh, situation whenever you you legitimately think. That, that there's the potential to die <laughs> if you don't get out of the situation and how your body's actually going to react to that. Um, you know, you got the auditory exclusion. You got the, the tunnel vision is a very real thing that you lose the dexterity in your hands. And to, so to replicate that in training is very, very, very hard to kind of put that stress on someone. So for me, I think that uh, keeping that bar high and not dropping that bar for police just because we need bodies and also getting into a an arena that we can push the we can push the envelope on realism so whenever those life or death moments actually occur psychologically we've we've like we're blueprinted to to respond to the training we've been in yeah and i would actually like to further that uh, what adam's speaking about it's almost similar to my years as a canine trainer so it's there's a lot of desensitization training. So throughout these repetitions, I've seen the same thing uh, in humans as within dogs. Uh, it's just a behavior. Essentially, I've seen the canines who are scared of a gunshot initially at first. It's kind of overwhelming. It doesn't make any sense. It's not like that in nature whatsoever. But through these repetitions and introducing it to them in the proper manner, I uh, introducing force on force or reality-based training to a cadet, you don't want to overwhelm them and completely scare them away. It's the same thing with the, with the canine. Uh, you would slowly introduce in a proper fashion this stimuli in hopes of allowing them to not get these natural responses, i.e. loss of the fine and gross motor skills, the auditory exclusion, things like that. If you've been conditioned and conditioned and conditioned to this, I've talked to some of our guys we've trained with with the uh, within the Delta and the SEAL Team 6 communities, and it's, it's similar. They've, they've been put in these situations so many times, so many, so many times that they're, they're able to 
slow down and process all of this information and make the, the best decisions for the best outcome. So that's kind of how I correspond it back to my canine years. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when, like I said, we had this conversation last night. And if you imagine three or four guys talking at length for three hours, and it was all about the the mental, almost the mental side of training, talking about building out dynamic training models, interleave training, um, getting away from block and silo type training, and then stress inoculation and building out these dynamic scenarios. That's, I think that's where people are starting to move to, right? I mean, you have instructors like yourself that are, are taking all of this information that's now coming in from the guys, like you said, the, the operators, uh, the, the men and women that are in the military, they're coming back and they're saying, hey, listen, we've, we've tried this out. Uh, here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. Um, and here's how we did it. But like you said at the beginning, it, it comes down to time, uh, resources, um, and it's, it's, it can be difficult for agencies, you know, not everybody can build out a full uh, CQC shoot house with sim rounds and high gear and all this stuff. So from, from your level, when we're restricted with what we have to use in terms of equipment and things like that, how, how do you think we can start building these dynamic scenarios and stress inoculation into training? Well, I'll tell you, it's unfortunate, but I've resorted to basically offering my time up on the weekends, uh, on my days off, things like that. And a lot of times our guys on the, on the tactical side as well as on the patrol side, and even within the, the detention facilities, they'll actually come and meet up with me. And I mean, we just have to make it work. It's, it's tough right now, specifically for us because of staff shortages. Uh, I can't speak exactly for, for Adam and what he has going on, but for us, I mean, we have, we have so many of our brothers and sisters in law enforcement are donating their time, essentially, and purchasing their own equipment and gear. Uh, that's the state that, that we're at. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, some, some nice backing at, at my particular agency as far as funding for, for, some, for some excellent equipment. There could always be more, of course, but I'm trying to really make – that's been one of my big efforts when I've moved into the training side of things is, is pushing uh, – tactics and pushing uh, equipment because you got to kind of have both together. You can have all the fancy, all the bells and whistles of equipment. If you don't know how to use it, it's pointless. So, and vice versa, you can have all the tactics and training and motivation, but you can kind of, you know, tip of the spear is to have the best equipment and technology on top of that to result. I, you know, in hopes of, uh, less loss of life and uh, the best positive outcome to any situation or problem that you may have. Mm -hmm. So for, for, if, for those that don't know, so me and Strick, we actually work at uh, two different agencies. That's well, and basically that's across the street from each other. He's with the sheriff's office and I'm with the police department, but we have a, uh, our team here locally, uh, our SWAT team was a regional team. And so we kind of, uh, we kind of tried to combine the uh, the best possible candidates for the team to to make one one larger team, but uh, and so we, and we both work at medium sized agencies. We're we're certainly not on the scale of like a St. Louis or Charlotte Mac or Atlanta, but we you know we're not a a ten man department either. But my whole point is, if you look at nationally the statistics, in in and I could be a little bit off, but so I'm going to say approximately 
but I think it's like 70 to 75% of most of the departments across the country are like 12 man departments and under. So like medium size to large size agencies, even though they get a lot of the uh, news headlines and just cause of the, 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 the magnitude of the amount of, uh, uh, of stuff going on in their area, most departments across the country are very, very small. You know, the majority of departments still don't have body cams. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that, I mean, basic necessities that a lot of departments can't have. And so going back to Strick's point, I think if you're, if you're wanting to really do this, nobody gets into this job for the money. You know, I think for, if, for me, you know, I started out at a small town police department. It taught me a lot. We did not have a lot of resources at the time. And since those guys have done an incredible job, um, uh, catching back up with everybody else. But at the time, you know, there, there were no laptops, there were no drug test kits. You really had to, you really had to learn how to police with just your instincts and, and really building that kind of that, that, that eyeball for stuff in that framework. But I think the same, the same approach mentally can be applied to, to really any department. Let's say, I mean, even if, if they came in tomorrow and took all of our resources away, in my department, there's approximately 200 people. People would adapt to it and they would, they would become better officers for it. So I, I don't think that, I mean, having, having the, the right equipment is certainly a catalyst, but you can, you can still do very, very well with limited resources. And you may have to, at some point, you know, dig into your own pocketbook to buy stuff. I don't know anybody that, that you know, that's become a officer or officer or an operator that has not went and bought something black with Velcro on it at some point, you know, and, and, uh, and like, whether it's a bag, I know when I first got become a cop, I think I, I bought like three sets of gloves. I was like, well, I need these for needles and this. And I was same thing here. You buy, you know, you're excited. It's, it's the greatest job in the world. You buy whatever you need. And so I think that a lot of times we do that a lot. And, and at the same time, depending on the community around us, um, <clears throat> the there's a lot of folks that are very willing to give uh donations and and there's a lot of philanthropy that goes around and so depending on the community for the right resources too whether it's uh outer carrier vest or or maybe it's a canine purchase or maybe it's a you know they 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 help purchase rifles for the for the department or whatever it plates, is plates the body armor yeah. I've, I've seen first aid kits tourniquets so there but there's a will there's a way no matter no matter where your your level of affluency is uh, at your agency, it's really interesting. I think there's um, a lot to be said for what what you're doing. I mean, you with tip of the spear. The, I'm I mean, we haven't had an in depth discussion about it, but I mean, I'm assuming you're doing it kind of for the same reason that I am. It's to get the information out there, to share the information and knowledge, because now we have these platforms, whether it be YouTube. Uh, podcasting, the internet, to to share it and get information across, you know, the country and across and around the world. And I know we were talking about this a bit offline, but I mean, to both of your points, you know, eight people, officers want to learn for the most part. I mean, that's been my experience as well. I mean, I'm not in law enforcement, but every every officer I speak with, they're like, yeah, I'd love to have more training. Yeah, I'd love to have this or have the extra gear. And sometimes it's just because of the factors of whether it be geopolitical or, you know, budgetary or whatever it is, they just, it's something that's not 
going to be able to happen right them right now for their agency. So they go out, spend their own time, they spend their own money on things. And, um, and that's why I'm so glad that I'm able to do what I do and you do what you do and put this information out there for people uh, completely free, right? Like, I mean, it's just like, here, take it. Like, if I can facilitate it for you and, and it's useful to you and actionable, use it, please use it, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't benefit me any to, to just do this and have it sit there, like share it, tell people about it, you know, give them these resources. Um, and it was funny what you said about gear because, um, and I don't, I don't like plugging stuff in the middle of the show, but um, we've recently partnered with LA police gear um, who most people listening to this will know LAPG.com um, and we're doing a, uh, well, yeah, every, every, yeah, I've spent like thousands of dollars there. Um, what they've done is they partnered with us and we're doing a, a giveaway um, for specifically for law enforcement. So either active duty or veteran members of law enforcement uh, corrections, the military or emergency response. Um, so if you're an active or veteran member of any of those communities, you can enter the draw and it's 300 and some bucks worth of gear. And then, uh, and then also if you're in the law enforcement side, uh, Tony Blower is going to throw in some, uh, some of his law enforcement only uh, training things for free. Um, some of the online courses and modules uh, for you to get as well. So that's completely free and we're giving those away every month. So that was something that I kind of negotiated with them so that, you know, aside from the, the training and the the mental aspect of it, which is what we're doing on the podcast, they, they can actually get something and, you know, here's some, here's a bonus for, for doing what you do. So um, any, any company or group or people that, that are able to help out, you know, um, officers or members of the emergency response community. Uh, thank you for doing that. And uh, we definitely appreciate it. So that's awesome, Adam. We appreciate it also. Well, they got some, they, they sent me some pretty cool stuff um, to, to I'll, I'll be doing a video here. Uh, it should be coming out this month. Um, I'm going to do a little promo video for everybody to show you what, uh, what you get when you enter, but it's, there's like a, their backpacks and stuff. They make everything in house. So I don't know if anybody knows this, but they manufacture their own gear. And, uh, and they manufactured up to a, a very, very high level, um, right up to the, to the name brands that everyone's very familiar with. Um, it's the same level stuff. I mean, I own, you know, I can't tell you how much, uh, how much money I've spent on gear and I can't put it on online cause my wife would kill me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've played with everything and, uh, and the stuff that they're, they're making in house there is, uh, is top level. So it's really cool that we can, uh, we can share that with people. Um, so Jumping into things that you're putting out there, Adam, I want to talk about your book that you wrote, Tactical Reload. Um, can you let everybody just, if somebody hasn't had a chance to get their hands on it yet, can you give us the uh, the Coles notes of, of what the, the purpose of putting that book out there was um, and, and what's in it for people when they get their hands on it? Sure. So uh, first off, I guess the, uh, I was, the selfish reason would be I just wanted to write a book and I, it was a goal. It was a goal I wanted to accomplish. And so, so I did that kind of for a self-serving purpose to be, if I'm being honest, um, it was just kind of a, a bucket list thing I wanted to do. And then two, I was, I kept finding myself kind of giving pieces of advice to these rookies and, uh, and at the, you know, I'm no granted, I'm no, you know, 35 year veteran, but I, but I've been around long enough now going on 16 years that uh, I've seen some stuff and, and I, so I started sharing stuff that I went through. Um, Cause I, I've had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of learning moments and embarrassing moments coming up and, and it taught me a lot. And so I thought, you know what, I wish I would have known this back then. And so I started kind of jotting stuff down and, 
all of a sudden it, it became a few thousand words and then 10,000 words. And, and, and so then I decided to kind of share it to see if anybody thought it was actually worth anything. And then the one person that I shared it with that got back with me, that was like, Hey man, you, you've got something here. I think it's, I think it's good. I put my stamp of approval on it. And in fact, I'll write the forward for it if you, if you want me to. And that was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. And so I, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty confident that your audience probably knows Grossman. He's one of the most uh, sought after speakers in the law enforcement and military world. He, he's always on the road traveling the country. And, you know, I got to spend some time with him on the phone and, and over the internet, kind of chit-chatting with him. And he is the same person on stage that just, that's, the, that's him on the phone. A uh, very, very passionate person. But it's just, I saw some, the police were just taking a beating at the time and in the media and nobody was, nobody wanted to be police anymore. And I, you know, there's nothing that I could do about the fear mongering and the false narratives coming out on the news. I couldn't really combat that as much. So I thought, you know what, maybe I could write something. Maybe my mom, my, maybe my mom buys the only copy, but at least I can do a small part to try to influence and empower those folks that are just coming in, into law enforcement. And, and maybe it, it kind of inspires some people that are still in it to do my, my, my small part. So the book is filled with lots of advice, uh, advice pieces. Um, Tim Kennedy, wild and crazy Tim Kennedy from the UFC and sheepdog response. He, he did, he helped a lot on the, on the training portion in the book, Mark Devine, uh, the Navy SEAL commander out in Coronado Steel, who does uh, SEAL fit and uh, is a leading one of the world's experts in mental toughness and the mental side of, of combat and, and stress. He helped out a bunch. He, his piece, sorry to Tim and the other ones, but it's probably one of my favorites. Um, and then some big city chiefs too. I know Erica Shields from Atlanta PD, Clark County where Las Vegas is at, Joe Lombardo. He, they both had sections in it because I felt like, you know what? I mean, I've got a few years in, but let me, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to the book and people reading it if I didn't get some, some insight from some of these influencers and kind of leading experts and, and, and what they've got going on and what advice they would give to the next generation coming up. Because we've, like the millennial generation right now, are, we're coming into our own and as far as leadership roles, we're getting ready to, ready to be the majority of the criminal justice system. And the younger generations coming up behind us now, uh, we've, we've got a uphill battle with, with staffing and everything going on. It's just, we're going to have to figure out a, a different way to do it. And so the, and that's kind of the, that's kind of what the book is, is just trying to figure out a new way to approach it because we're not going to be able to do, uh, we're not going to be able to use old methods to, to approach problems. We're going to have to be innovative and, and come up with new ideas and think outside the box to start trying to uh, approach some of this stuff and, and, and get back to having a little bit of respect in the streets. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd, uh, I mean, the, the amount of people that you have on there um, and have in your book, um, I mean, like you said, the, the names are, are synonymous when it comes to, to law enforcement training and being at that cutting edge. Um, I know, I know for one, like sheepdog response, like you're saying, uh, Tim Kennedy there. Um, I mean, those guys, if, if anybody has a chance, if you ever get a chance to go down and train with them, um, it's, it's next level stuff. Uh, and it's, it's real. Uh, you're, you're probably going to walk away with some, some bruises and some, uh, and some, uh, hopefully not some hurt feelings, but, uh, but it, uh, it'll humble you and it'll, it's some amazing training that they're doing down there. So it's really cool that you got such a, 
a wide variety too of of people to contribute so uh congratulations on that man it's a it's one hell of a book it's awesome i appreciate it man and you know i'm a nobody and so i you know all all credit goes to those guys and it just shows you what kind of of people that's out there because tim kennedy you, you should have saw tim kennedy trying to walk around the shot show it's impossible it's i mean it's he was just bombarded with people, but he's so down to earth and so willing to help. And it's just, man, I, so all my, my hats off to those guys. I'm a, like I said, I'm a nobody, but they didn't, they didn't hesitate to give me a hand with the book. They understood the importance of the book and kind of what my goal was with it. And they, they gave up their time and didn't expect anything in return. And yeah, I just hope at some point I can reciprocate that and, uh, if, and just kind of pay it forward. That's awesome. Where do you think if if we were gonna if we were gonna take an, an action out the some of the stuff that's in there, where do you think the next level is for for policing and police training? Is there is there a, a logical next step or is it gonna be touch and go for a while? Uh so say say that again. Yes, as far as training or just like the culture itself? Well, either or. I mean it's Training, I think, is always evolving, but I know one of the big things you spoke to was was the culture of policing and and how you know, like you said, it's recruitment rates um, in some in some areas are at like all time lows, mm. and you know, it's 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 interesting because, for example, uh, up here in Canada, um, and I can only speak for where I'm at right now, which is Winnipeg, because uh, I was aware of it, but we had a hiring freeze on for an extended period of time. So three, four years where they weren't hiring anyone. Um, and now they're putting through recruit classes and for 30 spots, you're getting over a 1, thousand, 1200 applicants uh, for 30 spots. Um, wow. And it's hyper competitive. Sure. Um, so it, so it's interesting because in, in my experience in that's what it's like in Canada um, where there's always a, just a, just an abundance of people trying to get in. Um, so what's it like down there where you are right now and, and how can things change? And I mean, your book's the start of it, but what, what's the next step? Uh, I mean, I think eventually I think we're going to get back to a good place for right now with social media really hurt, hurt us. I, I think, uh, especially with perspective, uh, cops or people that were thinking about the career and then they watch uh, some of these officer involved shootings and just they see how how nasty they can their lives can become even if it's a completely good justifiable shoot they they see how nasty their lives can become and how it affects their families and they're just like why would I want to do that for such for such low pay I can go have a, a much easier gig you know and make and make a lot more money and not only that I mean you look at I guess one thing that I was looking at is you look at suicide rates, you look at divorce rates, controlled substance abuse, alcoholism. I mean, all these, the, the life, the life expectancy for us is shorter than the general population. So at some point you look back and think, man, are we our own worst enemy? Like why would anybody want to come into this, into this career? So first off, um, that's why I wanted to address people within the agency first. Cause sometimes it's like, you got to look around and be like, maybe we should, we should maybe fix ourselves. And then, then, and then uh, start, you know, make, of course, obviously we've got to keep recruiting, but um, we need to take care of our own first. And so we, I, I just don't see us being able to maintain at the same rate that we're going. 
we're going to have to figure out a new way to play ball here because, you know, all these rates, divorce rates, suicide rates, they keep going up. And why, I mean, why, why is that? And I think a lot of it has to do not only with the outside stress, obviously there's stress that happens on the outside, but I think a lot of stress for cops happens from dealing with stuff from just the social media and within an agency and, um, and all these things kind of compound on top of each other. And so, man, I wish we, I wish we had that same problem, you know, thousand to 1500 people for, uh, for 30 positions. I mean, if you want to see what a, United States Police Department looks like that's been decimated with police staffing and, and lack of adequate resources. Watch the documentary of Flint Town. I mean, these guys are barely keeping their head above water here. And they're, they're even having to go out door to door asking people basically to, to vote for a tax so they, don't get, so they don't get laid off and they, come, they get brought back and laid off and brought back. And it's just it's just a, uh, it was very eye-opening to watch that, and it kind of shows you what, what, what a police department can actually look like if you don't have them, those, that staffing, those staffing numbers where they need to be and adequate resources. Absolutely. Do you have anything to, uh, any points you'd like to make that one on there, Steve? It's just kind of overwhelms me when you said 1,000 to 1,500 uh, applicants for 30 positions because uh, our local uh, basic law enforcement training program uh, has just been started over the last few weeks. And two weeks beforehand, they had, they literally had six uh, applicant packets that were submitted and turned in. I mean, they were at a point where in the first time in history, they were about to have to cancel the course. Luckily they got up to uh, 15, but that just gives you an idea of uh, like, the dichotomy between what you just said and what we're dealing with here locally uh, in the South when it comes to law enforcement and the perspective and the, I guess, the motivation to want to get into it. So, uh, I mean, we've, we've got it at 15. Statistically, we lose 20 to 30 percent of those uh, throughout the course, whether it be to uh, the fitness standards that are placed, the you know, the firearm standards, driving standards, or throughout just the standard, uh, you know, academic protocols through testing that gets. So it's, you know, if we go statistically, we're saying probably most likely about 11 out of these 15 will actually go through and graduate. So that's 11 when we're already short staffed and we need people. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's rough times now, but I think Adam is, he's, he's done an awesome job. I've known him for a while. He's, he's a super motivated guy. Uh, he surprised me when he said he was going to do this. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a, a, a an early uh, pre-published version uh, to, to look at and go over and was like, yeah, hundred percent. You need to get this, this, uh, this information out in, in hopes that we can, uh, do a better job, like Adam said, within, because sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Uh, there's a lot of false narratives and things out there, and, and sometimes instead of just getting out here and doing a better job with recruiting and showing people that, that that's, that's not the case. And me and Adam, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of funny when we get together. We, you know, we, uh, we bash each other pretty bad. Uh, and, but when we, we just not too long ago, we were actually teaching a class together, and it's our, our portion is, is – physical fitness specifically uh, with our local program, uh, you know, whether it be we teach the actual classroom portion of it, and then we have uh, one-hour sessions of, of PT with, with the, the ladies and gentlemen. And 
we were teaching a classroom portion and that's that's typically day two of the program and they're kind of overwhelmed when we we come our approach to them because we're really we're raw we're real we're not holding back and we want to really kind of give them our experiences the way we've seen them because unfortunately when I was coming up it was kind of not everyone of course so I had some awesome mentors and I'm sure Adam did as well but there was a lot of them that come in that you were like man early in the program when I went through basic law enforcement training I was like this 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 dude's a complete douchebag like why why do I want to like get into this like this is how he's treating the people out here on the street is this how he's acting you know he's all the bravado and it's just completely unrelatable to someone you may be dealing with, you know, out here that grew up in the, the local trailer park next door that's, that's, that never knows anything when it comes to any kind of, you know, wealth and never ate out at a restaurant in their life, drugs, crime surrounding them, you know, cockroach infested living and growing up. And then this guy's wanting to come around and, and, you know, act like he's a know-it-all with his, you know, douchebag shoulders rolled back, chin up and kind of, you know, breaking everyone's balls about things instead of coming in and, and trying to have some empathy and relate to the people. And that's kind of the, the approach that me and Adam's always tried to, tried to be like. And don't get me wrong, if it's time to go hands-on with a situation and someone doing something, I mean, we could do that. We can reach whatever level we need to do. But there just needs to be a, a, a kind of a, a coming together between the, the people right now and law enforcement and realize we're all the same. There's been a lot of talk last couple of years about the softening of society and you know that and it plays a lot you see it too in in uh in the military right with with people coming into the military and and some oh, of yeah. the feed, feedback that they're getting um of how they run like basic training and things like that um and it sounds like you're seeing that as well with your agency and, and with the recruit classes that are coming through do you think that's something that is is a serious issue and 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 follow up to that like are there ways to actively you know show people that this is you know it is a respectable career it is something that you know people should be proud to do and not be afraid to do yeah and i and i think that's one of the reasons I, i've became so vocal and uh willing to put myself out there because i know i'm not the best speaker i'm not the best writer but I think at some point you have to be, if you want to see any kind of actual change, you have got to be, you, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. And at the time, whenever I was writing the book, I was looking around like, man, we are, we are in a tight spot right here. And there was nobody really in my generation. And I'm of the older millennials that was, uh, that I felt like was stepping up to the plate to kind of be like, all right, man, we're going to, we're not a bunch of idiots. There's a lot of really hardworking, uh, you know, grinded out millennials out there that, you know, we, we got a negative stereotype, negative connotation associated with the word. And, and so I wanted to kind of start pushing back against that narrative and almost kind of be become a, some type of a voice. I, I'm not saying that I'm the next sheriff Clark or anything like that. Um, but I, I did, I, I am willing to come out there and have those hard conversations, but I think to the point of uh, the world softening or the, this new generation softening. Yeah. I think, uh, are we softer than my grandfather, my great grandfather that was in world war two? Absolutely. Man. I mean, every, every, every generation, every next generation has got it a little bit I mean, perceived easier, but all those generations are, uh, they're, they're, I ain't gonna say they're dumber, but I mean, statistically 
uh, your IQ is going up every generation. And so I think just the natural evolution of things is, are we softer? Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not out in the sticks hunting to eat at night. You know, I've got a Roomba that does my vacuuming. And so, uh, and so is, is my life easier? Yeah, but, you know, I also need these folks that maybe they, they're not tough as nails, but they can get your Bitcoin back because they're, because they're, super, they're super smart. And that's just the evolution of the way things are going. And so, you know, everybody always harps on the younger generations and I get it. you know, I, I kind of look at that sometimes too, with, with technology and our reliance on it and, and how I feel like there, there is a, a little bit of uh, softness and, and everybody wants to come in and be the chief immediately. And there is that level of, you know, I need it right now because everything's been such uh, they've been able to get their hands on it so quick. I don't think anybody goes to the library to do a book report anymore. But I think there are certainly advantages to to this. I guess I hate saying I hate using the word softening because I think we're getting stronger in other areas. But that softening uh, of the generation, I think there's some advantages to it as well. It's just going to be you've got to get out of the old school mindset and understand where we're where we're moving to. You got to have a vision of understanding where society and culture is, is moving towards and then and, res, and respond to that instead of staying stuck in this, like, we'll just throw a bunch of police at it. Well, you know what? Let's think outside the box. Let's look and see what our, uh, 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 what our options are here and, and maybe try something new and evolve with society instead of staying stuck back 10, 15 years. And, you know, that's just, there's no progress to be had there if all that makes sense. Yeah. So let me see if I get this right, Adam. So we're, you're, you're basically saying that we're, we are advancing in some areas, technologically dealing with computers, things of that nature. When you're saying softer, you're saying basically when it comes to more physical, yes, more physical hands-on approaches. Yeah. And right. why, why do you think that is? Because people are not just basically getting out, you know, I, I know, I know dealing with the cadets that I deal with and others that I deal with at higher, within my own agency, there's, there's just time after time. I mean, they're expected to go in and deal with these criminals, these rough people who grew up on the rough side of town. And they've, they've literally never, ever had to go hands-on. They've never been in a fight. They don't know anything about how the body, how they're going to react to that. But you're right. On the other hand, uh, Yes, they can forward my. They can set up a, a rule to forward my email to me if I need so. Right, I don't have a clue about any of that. I grew up, you know, fighting my whole life, so it's completely different. So, how I many? What's the solution to merge those? That's. I mean, that's. I think that's where that's going to be kind of where leadership has to. They've got to be open-minded enough to to see to not stay stuck in what they perceive as the best way to do things because. Uh, of the way they used to do it. One thing that kind of irritates me with leadership is <clears throat> sometimes if they're so far removed from the streets. Now you're not talking about your leadership. No, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about in general. I actually had a really good conversation with, with my chief last night. I, he's a good dude. Um, uh, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. But Adam's, of, Adam's leadership, he 100% support <laughs> you, as do I 100% support yeah, listen, my leadership. Make sure everybody knows that. I don't want to get rose <laughs> up. We're talking <laughs> about other that down to leadership. But a lot of times I'll see, because I, I was having a conversation with a, a person from another agency the other day, and he was talking about how long he's been in law enforcement. And he, you know, he hadn't been on patrol since 79. And I was just thinking, 
my God, man, like, like you're not even on Windows 95 yet. Like you're, you're, there's, there's a complete, a complete disconnect, disconnect from what you got. You know, he was a sheriff in another, in another county. And I was just thinking, man, like you better, I hope you have a lot of trust in your people because if you're still going off what you think was the way it should be done back in the seventies before there were use of force reports for God's sakes and things like warning that. Warning shots. Warning. Yeah. Let's, Stop. Please. Pow, pow into the air. Yeah. Yeah, who knows where those rounds went? Just off in the air, and the suspect never stopped running. And so, and I think you're always going to have those individuals, which is your alpha male guys. It's going to be, you know, I was never really an athlete growing up. I had some medical issues, but I think, and I and I'm an alpha male now. Everybody, I mean, I, I, oh, I'll, no. get, I'll get, I'll get, I see it in your eyes. I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll get beat up tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but I think even just go through each decade, and do you think we're at a better place now than we were? 40 years ago, as far as policing. Um, what do you think? I say, I say we are. I think with, with the resources we have now, our capabilities with DNA, our capabilities with understanding the kind of the psyche when it comes to interviewing people, our, the, uh, the, the, immediate, um, the immediate information that we can get on a tag or, or, you know, warrants or with DCI, just, it's it's completely it's it's so completely solving, different. Solving crime, you think we're better, but what about one hundred percent relations with the community? Uh, I think the, I think that what you hear in the media is kind of proliferated a little bit. One hundred percent. The mass, <laughs> the the majority of the of that they call it the silent majority here in the states. We have a huge support system from uh, from the general public in policing. I think what you hear a lot though is the people trying to grab news headlines and they just won't, it's just the loudest person in the room. Uh, just exact same reason that Trump got elected. You know, there was not a poll out there that showed him winning anything, but whenever the silent majority went out and did their thing, well, you see, he got elected. And, and I think that's, ah, uh, here we go. No, I'm not getting political, politics, but the, uh, but I guess I'm using that as an example of, those same folks that were voting for Trump and not saying that. Here we go again, Adam. The same folks that are voting for Trump. <laughs> are you going to say it more the, times? They're, they're, not, they're not in the news, you know, singing our praises, but they certainly are out there uh, supporting us. And so do I think it's the same? I, I, I Yeah, I still think even in society. Yeah, I mean, if you look at policing, you, know, you look, at, look at the policing styles in the 1940s and the 50s, you know, uh, during these civil rights movements, and you know, are we? Are we? I mean, we're much less racist as a culture now as than we than we were back then. Tactics are completely different. We, we I mean, we everything keeps evolving. I think sometimes we and we're even, trying. That's the thing that most the media and the people try to say. That's right. right. We are actually trying. And so, you know, even and even to this point, the technology of, of people listening to this podcast and the and. Uh, them being able to be exposed to it. I think that I think we're moving, I think we're moving in a better direction. I think we just hear a lot of, of uh, grumblings from the old schoolers that maybe, well, that's not the way we did it. Well, you know what? You didn't do it the way your grandfathers did it. And so, but you still got it done and you evolve with the times and we're still going to keep on pushing forward. Now, whenever I'm 80 years old, hopefully I make it there. No, Knock on never, never going to happen. May, well, uh, 48, maybe the, uh, I, I may look back and be like, I don't know if I did that or I don't agree with that, but you know what? That's just, I'm sure my grandfather's, uh, did it with us, but that's just kind of the natural order of things. I think. 
Yeah, and I don't agree with your hand on my inner thigh right now. Adam. You know, it's slowly, <laughs> slowly creeping up. It's uh, it's funny. I had a an episode of the podcast here. It was episode twenty three that I did with Jason Civitano, and we actually talked a lot about what what you guys were just discussing, um, and and the the conversation that came up on that episode was, um, echoing what Ad what Adam was saying there is that I think the overall abilities of officers now are better than they were years ago. I think the understanding, the knowledge, um, even, you know, even physical capabilities are better. Um, but the, what the issue was is, is that you have this old guard um, that is hesitant to allow and adapt change to, you know, societal norms um, that we, we currently have. Uh, and on the, and what we had talked about was, um, initially, the the concept of should there be specialized roles in policing moving forward, um, and an example would be um, to on like well I'll use two examples one on the tactical side of things so um, and it's different in the U.S. Um, you know as as we had said before the the United States has I don't know well you have the largest I think freestanding army in the in the world um, as far as technology and and uh, you know military budget um, and special forces operators. So you have guys that have been spending their time overseas, deployed, active duty on operations. Um, now you have a guy who's maybe been on the teams for eight, 10 years as a breacher and retires from the military, comes into civil service as a law enforcement officer. And now they are saying, well, you need to have, you know, five years of patrol experience before you're eligible for the SWAT team. And and wrong, the idea is wrong. that <laughs> I right, disagree. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, sorry, so, I got to cut you off because that's going to get me heated. Now we've we've had go, the same thing. Like one hundred percent. Go if for it. Have, if you have someone who has all of these these real world experiences that would vastly improve the team, the agency, whatever it may be, there's no you, you immediately. Now they would still have to meet the criteria as far as the physical you know, whatever protocols you have in place. But if there's something that's a five-year limit before you, he's already got it. You should yeah. count his experiences he, he's had overseas and in these combat missions or whatever it may be. That's, no, it's only going to help. That is a force multiplier, 100%. It would only help. And, and, and furthermore, the people on the teams could actually learn, even though he's, they may be new on the team, they could bring so much more to the overall dynamic and, and they could come in immediately and start assisting and teaching our preachers and so forth and so on. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of 100%. I don't agree with, with that. They incorporate the best people in the best positions 100%. And so, and I think you agree with, it sounds like you agree with that too, right, Adam? Yeah, no. So the, the and the, the point of that is, is because what we were saying was if, if you have somebody like that, why aren't you utilizing that asset? Right. Right. I mean, yes. Like uh, like Steve was saying there, there do have to be some requirements. Like you do have to show that you're competent as a as a police officer because that is going to be part of your duties, especially um, when you have agencies like like your own where you're not full. You know your job isn't full time SWAT. I mean, that's your 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 job is to be a, a police officer, and when you get called out, then you step into that role. Um, so that was one one thing that was brought up the other was on the opposite side of things um when you were talking about things like social media and technology um was with the generation that we have now um and i'm talking so uh 
the the men and women that are going to be getting into policing over the next 10 years that were born in after 2010 um, <sighs> wow or figure that one out yeah 20 well definitely after 2000 but uh some after 2010 you know um perfect example my daughter is two years old um and she already knows how to unlock an iphone go to youtube put on paw patrol or her favorite show um if i'm at work she knows how to call me um all without my wife helping her on the phone and she's two years old the the technology now is just intertwined with society and now you have these new officers that are coming in that have so much more experience on computers and on social media than any of us will ever have because they it's been there their entire lives i remember like i mean i know you guys do i'm a little younger than you guys but i remember i didn't get my cell phone first cell phone until i was out of high school um they just didn't exist and when that changed, like everything changed, but now these people are coming in and they've, they've lived with it their whole lives. Is there a time now to maybe start thinking about implementing the same strategy that we have in a military where if you're coming in, this is your specialty and that's what you do. So now should we have police officers that maybe their role is only going to be, you know, technology based, they're going to be in an off, they're going to be sworn police officers but their job now is to do investigations um, online, whether it be, you know, child exploitation or, you know, um, white collar crime, you know, yeah. data analysis. Those, the things that they're excellent at and excel at now, is, there, is, there, is it now a time to change where say, you know what, maybe we don't need these jack of all trades officers. Maybe we need to start getting into specifics and putting people where they're going to excel the most. What are your thoughts? And I actually, I kind of touched on that in the book a little bit too, is, uh, and I'll use my, my own story as an example. There for a while, I was really into uh, human trafficking, not participating, uh, full disclosure. <laughs> good, good. But, uh, but, investigation. Sure. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, but I was investigating it. And so I was at a training uh, one time and someone from CMPD recruiting was there. And, you know, we were just kind of talking and of course, you know, they're the largest age, largest agency in the state, 17th yeah. in the country. Shout out to Charlotte. And I mean, they can pay pretty, pretty well, right? Nobody can really touch them on pay. Uh, and so I was, and I knew that they had a staffing shortage and I was like, well, what, what would be the uh, potential for me to come in and be a human trafficking detective? You guys are a very large agency and you've only got a couple. And you, there's openings. There's there's openings right there. I have a specific skill set that could fill a very unique specific skill skill set that could fill that role tomorrow. And they're just like, nah, got to start on patrol. And I was like, okay, how long would I have to be on patrol realistically before I could be placed in that role? And they said probably around five years. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, I I don't want to I don't want to do that. Like I don't want to go back. You know that would put me into uh, I would be in the, in the low, like 21 years in by that point. Like, I don't want to, that's not where, that's not progression for, for my career. And I mean, do, I mean, you don't see that in other career fields. You don't see like Google, you don't see <laughs> Google and Wells Fargo saying, okay, you look, you got a very special skill set. You've got this much experience and knowledge and this uh, a, a crazy amount of training, but you're going to start out in the warehouse pulling, pulling keyboards out for, I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. And I think that 
but the staffing issues we're having, you know, I think we're going to have to look at more civilian positions that were once uh, filled by, by, by sworn officers. Uh, and I think that at some point we're going to have to take a more business approach to, um, to fill in some of these roles. If I have an applicant that has, uh, you know, an enormous amount of a, you know, a fraud or something with electronics that is very, very specific. And then I have a guy that's been on the road for two years that has hardly anything, but he's already did a little bit of time there. Uh, and let's say this guy's applying from another agency, but maybe not for that position, but let's say he could. I mean, am I doing the community a disservice by not putting that guy that could come in and hit the ground running? Then, you know, the other guy, but then you have the argument, well, you're not taking care of the people behind you, you know, that's, that's, that's already there, but you know what they, there's a, there's a, I think there's a balance there and it comes, it'll come back to being like, not necessarily generalized, but you can give uh, special uh, attention to people that have very specific skill sets, just like the uh, special forces guy. If you have a special forces guy come in and he's got just all these tours and uh, he's got an, uh, this, this a substantial amount of knowledge and experience and uh, why, why hold that back and not let him be on the team because of an old school rule. And I think that that's just going to be part of the, the new vision going in. And maybe that's a part of the evolution of, of police departments moving forward is that ability to put somebody that has a specialty role straight into that position. Maybe they're, they come through the Academy, just like a basic training. And then, and then you plug them right in and let them go instead of having this like, well, you got to start here first. And uh, just because that's the way it's always been done. Now, granted, if there's openings on patrol, patrol is the backbone. That's, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I think there's a, there should be a little bit of a leeway there. So no, no coming from, from basic training, cadet, graduation, straight into specialty role with no, let's say they have no experience whatsoever. I think it's going to depend on that specialty role. I think it's going to depend on exactly. You know, I agree. 100%. I think if, if they're going to be like, Hey, look, sitting behind a desk, I just want to dump. I just want to do with a computer. I just want to do cell phone search warrants. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, that's all I want to do. I'm going to, you know, I don't really, I'm kind of a socially awkward, you know, person anyway. I just like to sit in front of my computer and, and, and I'll be, I'll analyze all kinds of stuff. But and I kind of look at that as a specialty position. Now I wouldn't just bring somebody in and be like, you know what? You're kind of smart kid homicides where you're going like that's not <laughs> that's just that's not that's not what I mean but I mean as, I think as the as police evolve and these new positions uh, kind of evolve as well just like with social media nobody expected social media to be as big as it is now or bitcoin and, and I think you if you have people that can kind of respond to those those new challenges uh, sooner than later then I think you're crazy for not plugging that person in if you look okay think about it like in a sports team approach, if I have a, if I have a basketball team, let's say I'm going to have a professional team and, uh, and, I, and maybe they do this in the, in the minor leagues a little bit, but you can, you can move pretty quick if you're, if you're kind of a star player, I'm not going to bring somebody in this, that has, you know, an amazing capability and just be like, you know what? In three years, we're going to give you a chance to get in the game, but for now you need to work on dribbling and, the fundamentals and some like, no, you want, you, you're going to bring that person in and you're going to try to win. That's the name of the game is winning. If that person can help you win, pl- plug them in and let them go. And I know that's, that's, that's very, uh, 
it's subjective. Obviously, it, it depends on the person and the and the position. But I think we're we're crazy for not entertain at least entertaining that idea. Well, let's look at the flip side of that. What how do how would you deal with the disgruntled employee that's got twenty eight years in that's that's consistently put in for these positions and got bypassed, and then you bring uh, you know rookie cadet Smith comes in takes that job from them. How, how do you keep how think, do you keep the the uh the the experienced 28 year veteran motivated? Well, no, and, and I think well I don't think well if they're still if they're still trying to figure out where to go, I don't think they were that probably that motivated to begin with. Um and I wouldn't and I think we may be thinking of it in terms as like just a specialized position as far as like D tech or like a street crime or vice and uh, I, those don't really necessarily the roles that I'm thinking about. Um, I guess the roles I'm thinking about is like, Hey, I got this guy, he's got a PhD in biology, you know, um, he's really not interested in policing, but Jesus, man, he has smashed every CSI test out there and is, and can find a fingerprint off a potato chip. Like this dude is amazing. And then, but, but Smith's got 28 years yeah, in well, Adam. Tough, tough Smith. You got and the, Smith is your best friend. You got the, you got the step. Y'all work game. out together every day. You got to step the game up. You got to, you got to start getting, you got to start getting better and more competitive. And you know what? Raise. I, I think that goes back to just kind of raising down your own bar of the police department. If you know at some point some uh, some jack leg from somewhere else can come in and take your spot because they've been working their tail off and have a certain amount of training. Maybe that motivates people to become competitive, become more competitive and raise their own uh, level of standard. So I don't know. I mean, and I think there's, there's pros and cons to it. Just like there are now. And so you just, I don't know, but it's, I think it's a fun, I think it's a fun conversation to have. And uh, yeah, I think there's, I think there could be a, a, a balance there that, that could, that could be successful. But ultimately you agree as do I that, Put the best person in the best spot as yeah. long as they all meet the basic criteria take the best person take the per- yeah take the best person and take- we're not all equal we all have our specialties like you take, know. take the best person in the draft that's yeah, what i mean exactly that's, that's awesome Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we kind of went on a tangent about sorry, that. No, yeah. no, no, it's good. It's good. This is uh, – you guys, I mean, you're echoing exactly um, what my thought process was is the exact same as, you know, if you have if you have somebody who's been in, in for a long time and, and they have the years in um, and you have somebody new coming in, well, it's, it's as simple as, okay, well, who's most qualified? You know, you have some objective standard and say, listen, if you can prove to me that you're just as good or better than them, then you get the job. Like, it's not – it's, it's nothing personal. It's here's a, here's, you know, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Can you do that? Well, no, I don't know how to do that. Cool. Well, he does plus 10 other things. So like, what have you, if you're saying that, well, I've been trying to get into this role for the last 10, 15 years, show me, like, show me that you've, you've put effort into doing that because this guy who's just coming in, just spent five years in university mastering this because he knew that this is what he wanted to do right while you're sitting on the couch playing xbox when you're off shift you know so i mean that's i think you're exactly right i think that's it comes down to motivation and 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 competition is is never a bad thing i mean i mean i it's it's interesting because you get a bunch of guys that are you know with military and law enforcement experience and you know competitions bred into us um but it's that's, I think that we have to get back to that. I think we have to find a way to get back to, you know, 
people wanting to better themselves, um, not only through agency training, but on their own. Um, and I mean, it comes when, especially when you talk about things like, um, you know, people trying to get on a tactical teams. Well, God, man, if you're not doing training outside of what you're getting paid to do, I, I don't think you got a, a hope in hell of getting on a tag team. I don't know the way it is down there with you guys, but. Yeah. Yeah. Competition is only bad for the non-competitive person. So, I mean, it's, we all, I mean, that's what I just spoke about this uh, just a few days ago when we were doing our SWAT training It's I gathered all the guys up and was like, Hey guys, like anything that is, is yours as far as equipment and your specialty, a breachers, snipers, you, there's no way during our two days a month that we're going to be able to provide you with all of these areas we have to train on and constantly rotate with what you need specifically for your task. And when the time comes, we need you to perform at that. You've got to put in the extra work. I, you know, your specific grounds for, or you're, you know, a gas man, you, you need to know exactly where they're located, how to get to them, what the specifications are, how to use them you know, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with ballistics or, or CQB. You, if you're not, when you're entering your home, if you're not walking in and checking your corners and going through the motions of just keeping keeping the uh, knife's edge sharp all the time, uh, dry, dry firing, drawing your weapon, all these things, that's things you have to do tens of thousands of times on your own in hopes that that's going to ultimately help not only you, but the whole entire team. It's the same way through an agency. It, the overall agency and the mission statement, the people, it's hard to keep everybody motivated, but you got to look at things as I, same thing with physical, physical fitness. I always tell the cadets, I don't, and I'm sure Adam, well, he may, he's kind of sadistic, but I don't like going in and torturing myself with these, these workouts and putting in all this work. I don't do that for me. I do it for, for the, if I'm put in this situation, I have to save someone. I'm hoping that that'll do it you know or if i have to save another brother and sister in law enforcement or i'm thinking about the the officer uh that's responding to a call when i'm not around an active shooter call or somewhere at, at, a, at a church or at a grocery store where my family's at i don't want them to roll in at 400 pounds and have cankles i want the guy that's coming in that can that can push yourself that's squared away you're not doing that for yourself you're doing it for a bigger purpose so if you don't like to work out, you don't like to train, you don't like to put in your, your repetitions of dry firing or, or, you know, extra training on your own, it doesn't matter. You're not doing that for you. You're doing it for a bigger purpose. And if everybody would come together and have that collective spirit of that same mindset, I think it would also help us. And that's something that me and Adam both try to instill into our, uh, our cadets and rookies and our younger generation coming up in law enforcement. That's something I'm very passionate about. Because they, they always, with this generation, like Adam said, it's a lot about themselves and what can they get really fast. Overall, that's, that's not what it's about. So, Yeah, I think uh, going back to the Strix point of uh, <clears throat> or just that, I think it comes down to kind of the mentality and, and having that, I guess, that high EQ, and not necessarily IQ, but having that high, a high EQ in that, that self-realization, really understanding what your weaknesses are, really understanding where you need to improve on, and then have, have that willingness to, to work at it. Be willing to admit it because a lot That's of people's egos get, get, the, get in place of that also. Everybody has this false, like, false sense of confidence that they're all, like, especially in the police world, everybody's got an ego. Uh, everybody thinks they can fight. Every, uh, everybody yeah. thinks they're the baddest human beings on the planet. And it's just 
is it's very aggravating. And in reality, though, the the toughest guys I know are probably the most humble guys. Uh, they kind of know what they're about, and they don't have to go around boasting and and acting like they're this or that. And so, I, it's I, I whenever because we get these rookies in and. <clears throat> You know, we ask them, you know, you've been working out, you've been working hard. You know, oh, yeah, man, I work hard, I work hard. And I think a lot of people, because he was saying I'm a little sadistic, but I think in reality I did get there for I lived for a little while. But, you know, I even thought I worked hard and that I trained hard until I trained with some people that trained hard. And I was like, oh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, so, because I, I got a chance to train with some uh, West Side Barbell guys. Uh, in, insanity. I had a chance to uh, the train with a couple of uh, Olympians at one point and a CrossFit Games team and CrossFit Games champions. They, I mean, yeah, and it's just they're on another level of work ethic. And to be at that kind of level, to really see the kind of work you got to put in, you're like, okay, that's what it looks like. That's where I need to be. And then you take that and uh, and just kind of adapt it to yourself and. And that's when I really started seeing progress in whenever I uh, started applying that to my own workouts. And that's when people started thinking that I was crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm not crazy. I'm just kind of emulating what the best in the world are doing. And it's just that none of us do that. You know what I mean? It's, it's painful. Nobody's it, willing to do it. It, it, it honestly, it hurts. It's not, it, it, I mean, to change your body, it takes, it takes a lot of, uh, uh, it takes some stress to it. And I'm not saying go out there and, and get injured by no means, but to, uh, to train at a level to uh, it takes a certain intensity level to to really get those effects and and understand like how can you how can you do that many push-ups or how can you run that you know mile and a half that fast i was and, just born that good right and uh like you, <laughs> like you think you're fast until you until you run against somebody who's like an actual runner <laughs> you know what i mean i used to think i had a decent mile and a half time until i ran with somebody that ran sub eights and to see how hard he was running for that amount of time, I was like, "My God, man! Like, I'll, I'll die." But he's willing. <laughs> but he, but he has worked so hard at that that uh, that's just he had put in that level of intensity for that long. I mean, it really just comes down to effort and making a decision. And I think that people people tend to pull back a lot on as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, they they start putting the brakes on. But they they just don't realize that if they would just push through a little bit harder. That's where you you really start getting the mental toughness at. That's where you really start kind of callousing that part of your brain that says, you know what, like I can keep going. Like you can keep going. Your body has so much in reserve for for those fight or flight situations. You can keep on moving and grooving. And so, but people really don't never they don't never get to that point to where they can really start to callous it. And and like fitness is what is what kind of found it for me. Uh, Cause I, you know, if I, at some point it's like, you know what, I, I, I'm never going to, like, I can just keep, I'll just keep going. And so you start kind of understanding, not that I'm not comparing myself to no kind of Navy SEAL or nothing like that, but you can kind of get an understanding of like, okay, the mentality, the mentality you got, if you have the right mentality, there's nothing physically that you, you can, you have that, you understand that, that no, that new, new quit attitude. And you're like, okay, I can see why these guys would do that. Uh, I got, I got, you know, Push, I pushed myself through a uh, ultra marathon once and it was, it was brutal because my knees were all jacked up, but it was just like, at the end of it, you're like, okay, like I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit stronger mentally. I did it. I proved that I could do it. So, you know, what's the next challenge kind of thing. Yeah. And that's, 
to just add on to that, uh, Adam, that we have, again, some of uh, cadets and people that we deal with and train, uh, you know, they think that they're pushing herself and we're almost like, you know, it's almost laughable and they get offended by, by, by what me and Adam tell them. We're like, uh, no, you, you, you jogged your mile and a half in 18 minutes. You, you did not push yourself today, yeah. you know, not taken away from your accomplishment, but like there's levels to this. And ultimately it's all subjective too. If, if Adam is completely blistering me in a, in a, in a 20 mile run, let's say, and he beats my time, but I push myself equally as far as suffering and to the edge mentally, it's the same for us. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. And that's specifically what I look for when it comes to, to the, the tactical side, the SWAT side of guys. I look for the heart, that grit and that grind. I don't care that you, if you're the best shooter or you, you ran the O course in the fastest time, I want to see you with snot flying out of your nose, puking your, you know, your guts up, dry heaving, and still you're not willing to quit and you still want to keep going. That's more important to me when it comes to the real world than all the skill set we can develop. Yeah. I'm looking for somebody that's willing to to get uncomfortable and really, really uh, to to push yourself be, to that next level. The person that could have all the physical and you know uh, mental talent in the world, who immediately we see them over there walking around, not wanting to push herself. To me, I'm already done kind of with that person. Now, you know, I'll go and drop some advice and try to motivate them a little bit. They don't. It's, that's something they got to find internally. I'm looking for the person that's already, that's already got that kind of that, that, that pit bull mentality, you know, when it comes to that fight. And that's something that, again, I, I'm seeing less and less of as time goes on for whatever influences mm. and reasons. Uh, the person, I believe it was, uh, it was actually, I remember, it was in, I think it was in David Goggins' book, maybe, or, or one of the something I'd seen on David Goggins where he was like, it's easy nowadays for someone to kind of they want to become successful or get past the Michaels. Nobody else. All you got to do is just put in a little bit of work. Nobody else is willing to do it right now. Yeah. They quit way before they should. And that's kind of where me and Adam, that's kind of how we almost, you know, throughout the SWAT team and things like that, where, where we've come together and why we've always got along over the years, because we're both, we kind of have that same mentality where it's, it's, uh, you know, put out or shut up type thing. Yeah. I love how this conversation has really gone full circle. Um, and we've gotten back to our initial uh, topics that we were talking about, like um, building in stress inoculation into training and how to do that. And it, what you guys both touched on is from learning and taking time on your own to, to learn and develop and then building in mental resiliency through physical training. Those are two key components to being able to stress inoculate during those dynamic scenarios and i think it's important for instructors and trainers that are listening to this to, to understand like you know just because you don't necessarily understand the the core concepts behind it or how to piece it all together i think every single person who's put themselves into those roles whether it be um, a, a tactical operator or an fto or an instructor or a trainer you embody what you're trying to get out of your students and from listening to you guys talk, I can tell like you're, you're so passionate about sharing your knowledge and information. It's just like, it's like you sometimes just want to take the person and just like force feed it down their throat. Like just listen to what I'm telling you. God damn it. Um, and, uh, and it's awesome, man. I think, I think that building in that mental resiliency on the physical side of things is one of the very first things you do when you go through recruit training. Right. I mean, there's a reason why there's physical standards 
in the academies, right? There's a reason why there's a physical standard in the military. Um, a lot of people think it's so that like you have this peak, you're in peak physical shape. And yes, that's part of it, but you guys are absolutely right. The, the mental resiliency is really what they're going after. They're trying to get you to work past that point where you say, I quit to the point where you say, you know what? I can do this. I can tough it out. And that's what you're going to need when it comes down to saving your own life or saving somebody else's. Exactly. I just, I had two of the uh, candidates that we have just a few days ago tell me that this, the PT sessions that we've had so far were, had exceeded what they were, had dealt, been through basically in their, uh, in their basic training in the army. So, I mean, it's not that I'm trying to torture them by any means, but it's, it's, I want them to get uncomfortable and I want them to, you know, to experience that because that correlates to when they're getting their ass handed to them on the street, are they going to give up or are they going to fight through it? And that's, that's kind of where I'm at on it. And it brings up a whole nother interesting situation when you were speaking at them. Uh, I was last night, I was on the, the range for our uh, in-service firearms training. And, and it's not all like, I don't want people to get the, you know, the, the wrong way, which I'm assuming most of your listeners are probably uh, law enforcement military or, you know, future law enforcement military. So, but uh, for just the community, which you know, it's not in there torturing people or doing anything like that. It's an example would be me at the range last night dealing with, I mean, you have to modify these techniques. That becomes, as you get more experienced as a coach or an instructor, uh, you modify how you deal with certain people. So I, I may be more, because I know Adam and his mentality, I see that in him. I can go up and I can speak a certain way and I can say certain things to, to, to motivate him where, you know, it may be someone else who's a little bit more docile and, and low key. I may have to go over if I say the same things I would say to, to this person, if I say to Adam, it could shut them down and completely, you know, have the opposite effect. So I have to deal with, bring it back around at the firearms training last night. I had several people and, and you know, if I have eight people on the line and I'm training them and trying to help them and coach them in certain techniques or, or whatever it be, you know, basic you know, marksmanship fundamentals, each one of them I approach in a different way. And that just comes along with getting experience and actually having a passion of wanting to help people and become a good instructor. So you can't, it's not a, you know, uh, you know, one-stop shop when it comes to teaching, motivating and, and instructing. So you got to kind of have a little bit of that empathy and you, you got to be aware of what you're doing the whole time also. Absolutely. Adam, do you have anything uh, you'd like to add on to that? No, Strick does. He does a good job with. Uh, he does do a good job uh, with that. Um, I think. I'm just thinking about it, not necessarily from the firearm standpoint, uh, because that can be, you know, that could be very mechanical. Uh, a lot of times, in in, because I'm not naturally just a. I I was never a shooter growing up. It, you know, if I just. At, whenever I first started, if I just picked up a pistol and started to shoot it, I was maybe like a 80 percentile shooter, like, like less than that. He's, probably, he's, he's exaggerating. He was very awkward. Yeah. I, I got an awkward stand. I'm just not a natural uh, shooter. So it took a lot of work for me to get to a point where I was consistently getting uh, into the 80s, getting to 82%. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. But, uh, but on the, on the PT side, I think it's, you have the opportunity with those folks to, because I, what I don't like is PT instructors that, that, that they're not willing or able to walk the walk. 
Yes. What I mean is like they, these guys will come in, they'll write up some ridiculous workout and like, all right, three, two, one, go. And knowing full and well that he or she would probably, probably be dead last in it, that they can't even do it. So like for me, it's important. It's actually kind of a motivator for me to keep, keep myself in check because mm -hmm. I want them to see like, look, this is what it needs to look like. Like I'm going to push myself and I'm going to work. I'm going to try to outwork everybody in this room and every single one of y'all need to be trying to outwork me. Now we're going to be on a, in our own world of suck. And, but you know what? That's the same way it is when you're wearing 30 pounds of gear in a foot chase and then you got to get in a fight. So if, when you, you got to kind of start approaching it with that mentality and I like to show them like kind of lead by example. Right. And you know, I don't want a firearms instructor coming out there telling me what to do if they're shooting a 65. I mean, get the heck out. What do you know? And it's the same thing with a PT instructor. Like, don't come out there and not be able to get through eight push-ups, man, and then trying to yell at me for uh, not being able to do the same thing. Yep, and we've seen that over the years. That's how, yeah, I mean, that ha and that happens. We've seen it time and time again. You know, this, this, you've got the range Nazis out there saying all this stuff, telling what you should do, but they're never getting up and actually picking up a firearm, showing that they can lead by that example. Or uh, in anything, troll call, what, whatever it may be. Hey, we're going on this operation. we got to you know, hit this warrant or whatever it may be. And this guy who's the biggest talker in, in, a, in a leadership position or whatever it could be, you look back and they're not even in the house with you. They're out there, you know, didn't have the confidence to even go in, but they're the biggest talker. So Adam, to his credit, 100% will lead by example. Like he will be the first one in, the last one out. He's got that mentality. So I've been around him enough to know that. And I think that's kind of translated into not like get on a soapbox for myself, but like, yeah, certainly – kind of uh uh been felt in in other aspects of what i do with whether it's the book or the column or like just all the other irons i have in the fire i try to approach it with kind of the same mentality that you know i want to outwork everybody because i'm i'm probably the least talented person in any room i go to so the only thing that i can control is is my level of effort that i put into whatever i'm i'm kind of working towards I love it. That's awesome, gents. Hey, listen, guys, I honestly can't tell you how much I appreciate you jumping on the call with me today. Uh, before we wrap things up, is there anything, uh, any kind of last tips or tricks that you guys would like to share um, on, on what we've spoken about today or, or lasting kind of a piece of advice for any trainers, instructors, or officers that are listening? Um, if I could say anything, it would be... I say uh, one thing I like to tell a lot of people is don't let uh, opinions form your own. Other people's opinions form your own. Have the 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 wherewithal and uh, the mental toughness going back to it to to form your own own opinions. Don't be an echo chamber, uh, and don't just use somebody else's talking points. Actually, kind of consume the information, dissect it, and then and then put your own spin on it. Uh, and I, I think that's important to me, just because I don't, you know, I just. That aggravates me because I, I hear that all the time, just uh, talking points that I know somebody else said or just kind of the rumor mill. And now, you know, because these two people were talking trash about Strick, now this new guy thinks Strick's an asshole when he's not. And I try to explain to the new guy, like, no, he's not. Form your own opinion about him first. And then you may think he is or, or he isn't. And so, but I think every cop uh, gets caught up in that stuff sometimes because it's a very cynical culture. So that, that would be the one bit of advice for really not necessarily trainers or instructors, but for anybody is just have the mental fortitude to, 
to form your own opinions. And as silly as that sounds, uh, I think it's, I think it's super important, important right now in this culture. Yes. And, uh, obviously with a question like that, it's, we could go on for probably another hour or two. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. We'll cut it into two parts. <laughs> Roger that. Um, so, but I guess one thing that popped into mind while Adam was speaking was, was basically don't, don't act like you've reached your pinnacle and you know it all. Always be willing to adapt uh, and evolve as a, as a, as a person, both, you know, whether it be spiritually, physically, you know, tactics, uh, whatever it may be like Adam's, Adam's done really well with that. He's always seeking new adventures and going on, but I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been at, in courses. I'll go to like basic courses, whether it be like a basic SWAT school or a basic rifle school as you know, with you know, almost 20 years and I'll be there with people that's had six, you know, six months on a team or whatever. And they're like, dude, why are you even here? Like what? And it's, it's that constant wanting, you know, to see, Hey, what's the latest thing coming out? What I'm no better than anybody. I want to constantly evolve and I'll, I'll admit my weaknesses. And a lot of people that through that, like we spoke about earlier, that machismo or whether it be not, not afraid to to, to admit they have shortcomings or or not wanting to admit their failures through those is when you become better. Every time Mm -hmm. for me personally, every time that I've, I've admitted you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm weak in this area or whatever it may be. Uh, if I'm, I'm willing to admit that, that'll give me, you know, I'm willing to admit it now. Let me seek out ways of overcoming this. And there's a lot of people that, you know, you could go by them and you could be like, Hey, Adam, uh, the way you're carrying your magazine on you is probably not the most efficient way. Cause if you're under stress, you're probably not gonna be able to get it out. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know what, uh, why would I ever have to do a mag change? I've got I've got 15 rounds in my gun, man. I don't even need to do a mag change. It's like they're so closed-minded, you can't, you can't, they're not even approachable because they think they've hit the pinnacle of knowledge, you know, oh, the mecca of everything. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, you, you need to treat yourself just like you're at the, the beginning, day one of everything. If you have that mentality, for the people I know that I hang around that have that mentality, uh, such as Adam, myself, and a lot of the others, uh, that's, that's what I've seen. And they tend to be, it's the opposite of what you would think. They actually are the most humble people. They, they're the most approachable. And it's because they have that mentality, hey, I'm, I'm no better than anybody, and I want to constantly evolve. Awesome, brother. That's great advice. Uh, Adam, real quick, um, I know you have about 87 things going on. So if you could pick two or three um, that you'd like to let everybody know what's, what's going on next with you and uh, what do you have going on with your podcast and, uh, and your articles and stuff like that. Yeah, so the, uh, I guess if kind of the one-stop shop would be my website, adamlwilson.com. It's got kind of links to everything. Uh, the book, uh, the, the column on Newsmax is very pro-police. Anybody out there is, is interested in a certain topic, please, I'm always open to ideas and discussing them. And, um, and you, you'd be probably invited to my own show. And that is Tip of the Spear with Adam Wilson on YouTube. It is kind of just recently launched, and this year has been kind of a uh, kind of an experiment to see what works, what doesn't work, and then at some point I'm going to step back, punt, and and really have a uh, consistent uh, level of content. But that's kind of the, that's my main things. If anybody out there is looking for, I also created a uh, a promotional app, mobile app for police that are. Uh, thinking about taking a sergeant's exam or a lieutenant's exam, it is a police, uh, basically type in, if you type in sergeant's exam or police exam on 
uh, in the Apple store or for Android, you can find it. It's a Burgundy Chevrons. It's only a couple bucks. There's several hundred questions on there, hundreds of, uh, of uh, kind of flashcard for terms to kind of get you acclimated with uh, maybe some different areas of policing that you didn't know before. It's only a couple dollars. It's already been proven that it's, it's helped a lot of people um, achieve success on that exam and get promoted. And so, but you can find that on Apple store. There's also links to that on the website. Right on, man. Hey, Steven, I don't know if you're taking notes, but I'm pretty sure I said two or three. Um, I think that was four or five. So we That's have my to... B. <laughs> <laughs> I just no. got rolling. <laughs> no, it's all good, guys. I'm uh, I'm super excited. Everything you're putting out, man, is, is high level, uh, top notch. And I, I follow you myself. So everybody needs to to get on that. And it's tip of the spear by Adam Wilson or with Adam Wilson on YouTube. So get on that uh, when you get off of this podcast. So thank you gentlemen, both so much for being here. I can't wait to have you back on the show. We're definitely going to have to do that and uh, enjoy the rest of your day guys. And we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it, Adam, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks Adam. Appreciate it, man. All right. Talk soon. All right. That wraps up our conversation with Adam and Steve. Make sure to check out the episode page. The links to that will be in the show notes, the breakdown.ca forward slash zero three two. If you haven't already, consider subscribing to the podcast. There's going to be a lot of great content coming out, information that's going to be actionable and useful to you. Also, make sure to mark in your calendars the last Thursday of every month at 1800 or 6 p.m. Central Time. That's when we roll out our instructors' roundtables. The IRTs are done the last Thursday of every month, and it is on a different topic every time. We have four of the top subject matter experts in the world on any given topic, from things like use of force, to firearms trainings, to tactical operations, to mental health and everything that you could think of. So stay tuned and make sure to tune into those by subscribing either to the YouTube channel or subscribing to the podcast and getting all the up-to-date information. Thank you so much for joining us on The Breakdown, and I'm excited to bring more and more of these episodes your way. But until then, stay safe. Stay safe.